Welcome to Lattes and Lifting. Grab a coffee and join us as we chat all about food, fitness, and finding your freedom. Through this podcast, we will help you navigate the fitness world stress-free. Hello, and welcome back to Lattes and Lifting podcast. Uh, It is Jess with a solo episode this week. Um, It's going to be kind of quick, but I hope that it will give you all a little bit of insight. Um, If you have had kids before, I would love to hear your thoughts on some of this. And if you're looking to get pregnant or think you might be in the future, this is probably a good listen for you too. Um, So I'm going to start with a win and that my win is that I did record this episode already. But when I went back to edit it, I wasn't really keen on the tone that it took. And (sighs) I almost left it. And then I thought, no, I'm going to change it up a little bit. So this is part two. The other one's already deleted, so let's just move on. So this week, I'm going to talk about things that people don't tell you about pregnancy, and then the things that people do tell you. And I hope that you will, um, if you've said some of the things that the people do tell you, maybe we can learn a little lesson from this. So here we go. We're going to start with things people don't tell you that maybe we should talk about more. So the first thing I'm going to start with is just all things like first trimester. Your body is changing so much. You don't know what to expect. One of the things that I have only heard from one other person is that um, you might not know. Um, uh, I The only symptom that I had, full disclosure, And I really feel for the people who felt so sick in their first trimesters and beyond is that my resting heart rate was elevated. That's the only symptom that I had. Uh, Now I am a person who pays attention to that. So it was kind of an odd thing to happen to somebody who's very fit and wasn't feeling sick. Um, so that was a bit strange, but know that that happens because you're making more, uh, you're making more blood. Um, so totally normal. Um, the fatigue is real. Um, and, uh, just falling asleep on the couch at like seven o'clock at night or, um, and paired with that is that I actually had some insomnia in my first trimester. And I don't know if that was, just baby or just a little bit of, you know, stress in general, but, uh, the insomnia was real. Um, and the hunger was real. Uh, my body was so hungry. I would wake up hungry and then not able to get back asleep. So pro tip, um, I took to, uh, sleeping with trail mix on my nightstand. So that was fun. Um, next one, um, your boobs hurt. Mine hurt so bad. It was just like painful, painful, painful. Um, totally went away. Um, but it was, it was like nothing I've really felt before. Um, and speaking of that, the body changes will mess with your head. Uh, if you're somebody who feels like they have a really great relationship with their body and, 
um, you're very accepting of it. Maybe you're body positive, maybe you're body neutral. I do have a, an Instagram post on that if you're curious about the difference. Um, it will mess you up and it will make you question everything you've ever done to heal uh, your relationship with your body. Uh, I know it really, uh, there was parts that were really hard for me to deal with. Um, changing size, uh, just clothes not feeling the same, not looking the same. Um, just kind of losing that autonomy that I think, um, probably with a lot of women, but especially I think with athletes who are used to having a lot of autonomy and a lot of control, uh, letting go was quite, quite something there. Um, other things that kind of came along with that was, um, you know, people, people don't often talk about how, uh, other people are going to react, right? Um, quite often people will just jump in and ask things like, oh, was this planned? Or, oh, finally, you guys are pregnant. And, you know, um, I don't know that everybody's in a position to ask questions about other people's fertility. Some people are really public with it. Um, full disclosure, uh, we didn't plan on having a baby until later, well, in my 30s, anyways. Uh, so anybody who responded, oh, finally, well, finally what? Because we didn't, we weren't trying until this year. So um, interesting that we don't share things about our fertility when we don't want to. Um, you know, asking about people's fertility can be so sensitive and I know so many women or couples who are on such long and painful, heart-wrenching journeys with fertility. And you know what? I just kind of think like if they haven't told you, they haven't told you for a reason, right? And we'll get more to that near near the end of this. But I did want to put an aside in there about, uh you know, maybe things people don't tell you or things people don't say is that everyone will have an assumption about your fertility or lack thereof. And um, it's really none of their business, to be honest. Um, jumping back into some funny things is um, what exactly heartburn feels like. I uh, This is a very new thing for me. I only just had it happen this week for the first time in my entire life. Never felt it before honestly felt like there was a vitamin stuck in my esophagus that didn't quite uh, go down. And I was like, what is this? Why is my prenatal from hours and hours ago stuck in my esophagus? It wasn't heartburn. Um, yeah, I haven't, I've only had it like, like the, the couple days that I had it, but it was, I was like, what is this? Uh, and I had to ask somebody what it was. And luckily enough, I have some great friends who helped me out with that. Um, or here's another one. What exactly are we feeling for when we're like, is this the baby moving? Is this my tummy grumbling? I don't know. Cause I didn't actually know. And I, uh, uh, a friend who, who's actually the same, uh, sort of same gestational age as me, she, uh, asked me if I'd felt anything yet. And I said, well, I'm not really sure. I feel kind of like there's like some bubbles, um, 
but like kind of like gas pains, but like no pain. And she was like, oh my God, dude, that's the baby. And I was like, oh, haha, weird. Yes, I am feeling, I am feeling the baby. This is hilarious. So people don't really tell you that. Um, so that was kind of, that was kind of funny. Um, you might feel awful. And I know so many women who just kind of barely hanging on uh, through their pregnancies, whether they have, you know, persistent sickness, vomiting, fatigue, um, you know, pelvic pain, um, anything, you know, just adverse symptoms, adverse reactions. And I feel for those women because this is supposed to be kind of a a cool time and it's supposed to be beautiful and whatever, but um, it can be very not right. And especially if you're one of those women, you know, hats off to you. And if you are one of those women and you're dealing with those things and you have another child that you also have to take care of full on respect uh, for you for making it through. Uh, And then I guess the other side of it is that, you know, and this could kind of go with the follow-up with the things people do tell you. People have all the horror stories for you about how awful you're going to feel, but you could feel amazing. Um, and interestingly enough, I feel a little torn sharing how good my experience has actually been. I didn't have any morning sickness. I haven't really had anything to complain about other than like the two tiny bouts of heartburn and some fatigue and insomnia for a little while. But um, yeah, you might feel amazing. You know, I have been feeling really great. All my workouts still feel good. Everything's just going so well. And I don't know if it's because I set the bar so low for myself to begin with, because I thought my body was going to revolt against me. Or if it's hereditary, genetic, I don't really know. So far, my pregnancy has been very similar to my mom's pregnancy with me. And so I don't know if there's a tie there, but there very well could be. And um, I'm I'm very grateful for that. Um, But know that it might not be as bad as you think. I was kind of dreading this whole experience for years leading up to this. but it's been okay so far. So far. All right. Uh, moving on. There's a long list of things that people will say you shouldn't do. You should do. Um, you can eat this, not that. Um, but there's so much nuance. And uh, I do want to plug a really great book here if you're into evidence-based things or science. Um, Emily Oster is a professor and an economist. And she has taken all the all the studies done on pregnant women or lack thereof. Uh, she's taken all the data anyways, and she's put it all into a book called it's Expecting Better. And what it does is it breaks down all these things that you're told or these choices that you have to make. And it gives you the data and the science behind it and then kind of says, well, knowing this, you get to make your own decision, which ultimately at the end of the day, that is your choice, right? Your body, your choice. Um, and so for example, one of the things is, um, pregnant women are told not to eat deli meat because of listeria. Um, there is a higher incidence of listeria coming from lettuce 
and nobody's telling you not to eat salads. So uh, my general rule is choose quality, right? Don't eat a three-day-old Subway sandwich. Um, choose quality, um, you know, choose, choose things that are nutritious, um, fuel your body well, um, and there's not a lot of things that you can't really do. And you're, you are allowed to have coffee um, in, a, in a certain amount. Now, I'm not measuring the milligrams of coffee. Um, and, and, you know, have open discussions with your, with your OB or your midwife about these things. Um, now, I'm using a midwife, so I can't really speak to how an OB handles things like this. But I do know that my midwife is very evidence-based and she encourages me to look at the research, look at the data and make my own choices, which is exactly what this book did. And I feel very empowered um, making decisions for myself in that way. Um, and that said, with the data and the research and everything, is that one thing that I've kind of realized through this whole thing is even though women have been doing this pregnancy thing for hundreds and hundreds of years, um, it does seem like we know very little about it. Uh, and I've said this out loud to a few people and they're like, yeah, that's true. And I'm like, you know, even with my my education as a prenatal fitness specialist, there's so much nuance there that I don't, didn't know about, never thought about, etc. Um, so now let's move on to the things people do tell you. Things people do tell you is that you'll never sleep again, which is not true. Um, but also we know that babies don't sleep the way that adults and bigger people do. So to say that is, you know, thanks, Captain Obvious, but also just like, why? Like, we know, we know. Um, and so one of the things that was said to me when I was complaining about insomnia as I was, you know, eight to 10 weeks pregnant was, well, it's just getting you ready for the baby. Really? That comes in so many more months. And uh, I would just like to sleep now. <laughs> that doesn't, it does nothing to help me now. So um, the other thing that people will say is, well, you'll never leave your house again. And, uh, I am a firm believer in that, um, you raise your kids the way that you want them to be and you, um, you can adapt them to your lifestyle. And if you want your kids to go camping and hiking and skiing, you will take them there and they will love it because you love it. And the people who, choose to stay at home more often, will choose to stay at home more often, no matter what they do. So I think that you get to decide what kind of lifestyle you bring your kids into. And um, I don't really think it's open for discussion for others to judge what you do. Um, especially if they have their own kids, they've made their choices, and you make yours, and you can both live your lives, right? Um, the just wait until crowd. Uh, this kind of goes along with the whole, you'll never sleep again. Um, your insomnia is just preparing you for the baby. Um, I think this kind of goes with that whole, when I was saying that you, you know, you, all you hear is horror stories. I don't know why people want to tell more horror stories than they do good stories. Um, but I think we need to start sharing the good stories, the good birth stories, the good, um, the good outcomes, the good, um, 
you know, the, ah, my baby slept through the night, this like two nights in a row and it was amazing. And I've got the best sleep of my life. And, you know, that we, we tend to talk about, um, the struggles and we don't talk about the amazing baby cuddles or the fact that you've just created this tiny little human out of nothing and, you know, all these things. And, um, I think we do need to start kind of shifting that conversation a bit. Um, and going along with that is the judgments that come with all the decisions that you get to make, have to make. Um, there's a lot of people who are very quick to say, well, you can't possibly um, have a home birth, um, give birth at the birth center, formula feed, uh, use disposable diapers, or, you know, all these things. And again, I do think that this is a choice that... Um, the the pregnant person or the pregnant person and their partner get to make and not everything works for everyone and not everybody wants to go to the hospital to give birth and not everybody wants to breastfeed even though we might know the um the research or the data on breastfed babies um again you know my body, my choice. If you don't want to, you don't have to. There are millions and billions of children who have formula and are fully functioning, thriving adults. Um, and that's fine. Uh, cloth diapering isn't for everybody, right? Um, you know, not everybody wants to baby wear. Not everybody wants to have a billion swings and bouncers and etc. in their house. Um, not everybody has room in their house for a bassinet. Um, not, you know, there's lots of things that uh, are you're told that you should be doing that, um, you know, there's a lot of nuance. And I think that it can be really difficult to try and make decisions. But sometimes the, the, the parent to be just knows what's best for them. And I think we kind of need to um, just say, oh, that's great. Good for you. Um, and if you're curious, you might have the emotional bank account to ask, I, why did, what made you choose that? Um, just in a really innocent way, if you want to have a discussion. But I don't think we're, I don't think we should be judging that kind of thing. Uh, and going along with that is the, I guess you'll stop running. I guess you'll stop lifting. I guess you'll stop exercising. Um etc. And um, if you follow me at all, you know me at all, you know none of that is true. Um, it is perfectly safe, uh, unless it is a direct contraindication of not exercising like a uh, like present placenta previa, things like that. Um, you can exercise very safely and you can start exercising after you find out you're pregnant. It doesn't ha necessarily have to be something you did before, though it can be easier to continue if you have a base. Um, things like you should just be resting. Um, I'm not going to rest for like 42 weeks. That's a long time. So um, things like body comments, like you're huge for being um, 20 weeks. You're so small for being 20 weeks. Um, we know that um, you know, going back to the body image thing, like if somebody's showing a little earlier than average, you know, maybe, maybe they don't need to hear that. 
Um, I didn't show very early and people were like, wow, you can barely tell. I'm like, well, I can tell. Um, so somebody who's kind of on the edge of that body image thing might not want to talk about their body. Um, and we know that the size of mom does not indicate the size of baby. There's no correlation there. Uh, as long as baby's measuring well, it really doesn't matter uh, what the mom looks like or what they're showing. People carry differently. Uh, people have weight in different places. And that's okay. Um, but all bodies are different. But all bodies are good bodies. Um, and going back to that emotional bank account, I did want to explain what that was a little bit. So an emotional bank account is just a, it's a measure of your relationship with somebody. And so if you had a high emotional bank account with somebody, that's somebody that you know, you, they can tell you the absolute truth about something and you're not going to get offended by it. So this might be your partner, your best friend. Um, you know, maybe you have this kind of relationship with your mom. Um, not a lot of people would have a very high emotional bank account with you. Um, I only have it with a few people and, you know, even then I will often say, can I, uh, can I offer you some feedback or are you open to feedback? Um, and, and sometimes people just might not be ready to hear, hear it no matter what your emotional bank account is. But it basically means that if you say something that is, you know, whether it's kind or not, but it's true, they're not going to feel like a mess about it. Now, a low emotional bank account would be maybe more with acquaintances or, uh, you know, colleagues, people you're not super close with. And by saying some of those things like, well, you'll never sleep again, you could really hurt somebody's feelings um, or, you know, any of those body comments. And I don't think we need to, we need to lay it out there, but when you're pregnant, your hormones are out of control. So what you, what you might not normally react to, you might overly react to. And I think it is a great time for everyone to just practice some kindness and kind of that whole, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Um, and maybe it's a good rule of thumb to just, if nobody asked for your opinion or your advice, maybe it's not needed or wanted. Just food for thought there. As somebody who uh, has gotten some unsolicited advice, I feel like I'm pretty good at deterring it and just being like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do no matter what you say. Uh, which is kind of how I live my life, no matter what, uh, baby or otherwise. Uh, and I've heard it doesn't stop when you have a child. So it's just good practice for the future. Um, I think I think my best advice for pregnancy is to find um, find some other women who you can have a high emotional bank account with. Um, I've been really lucky to have made a couple new friends who are pregnant who are kind of the same as me. Um, you know, they are um, 
they exercise on purpose. They uh, are kind of breaking down the traditional boundary barriers of pregnancy. We talk about the things that we're supposed to be and not supposed to be doing. We talk about our tests that are coming up. We talk about OB versus midwife. We talk about, um, oh, have you felt this yet? Are you doing this yet? Uh, have you have you bought maternity jeans yet? You know, things like that. And it is lovely to have somebody to go through it with. Um, or just somebody who's gone through it before you that you have that emotional bank account with, I think is really important is just building that emotional bank account and having um, just somebody. And I, I love having a really supportive partner. Uh, and my partner has been incredible through everything um, that we've gone through this year, but uh, there's just no way for him to know. Um, but there are some really great books for new dads. Um, I think the one it's maybe like expectant dad or expectant father or something like that. If you're really curious about a book for your partner to read, uh, shoot me a DM and I'll get the real, um, the real name of it for sure. And I can share it with you. He said it was really good. So, um, I think I'm going to leave it there. I would love to hear your thoughts of things people didn't tell you that you discovered on your own. Uh, things people did tell you that you were like, thanks, Captain Obvious, or maybe people should keep their mouth shuts about, and uh, just any other experiences you might want to share. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you another day. <laughs>